Welcome to a fine time for healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matters. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. Hmm. Today we're going to be talking about how to be confident, how to be happy, and how to be you. Sounds very simple, but not everybody really has that concept. And so today we have with us Courtney McDermott, who is going to talk about her book. Let's see. There we go. Give yourself permission. There it is. Be confident, be happy, be you. Um, <clears throat> Courtney McDermott is a best-selling author. She's a TEDx speaker and a mind-body expert with a Master of Science from the London School of Economics. Her work is in the field of self-development and business strategy. She's been featured in Inc., INC, Women's Health Success, The Huffington Post, Fox News, and many other mainstream business and lifestyle media. Courtney's career highlights include her time as an executive at Vanity Fair Corporation, Vice President at Sustainability Partners, Inc., and then running her own business with clients and audiences at Universal Music Group, Google, Nike, Virgin Unite, um, and Courtney speaks four languages, and she lives between Italy and the U.S. Hi, Courtney. Welcome. Hi, Randy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You have accomplished so much already. Hmm. Is there a lot more to accomplish? Do you have a lot more goals? I don't know that I'd say that there's so much more to accomplish. Um, that sort of actually was the subject of my first book was having accomplished all of these things and yet feeling what I call miserably successful. Okay. So we get to this place where we think we've got to just do all of these things. And at least in my, in my experience, it never led to the kind of fulfillment that I was looking for. And I think that's the case with a lot of people. So yeah, I would say right now, actually, I sort of don't have um, traditional goals the way people think about them anymore. Okay. And my life has really kind of transformed into just living this right now, what's happening. So, And you had this metaphysical thing happen in your life, right? That That started this. I think you're probably referring to the intro of my second book where I talk about a lot of, um, I'm talking about I'm sure. yourself in, it's in give yourself permission where you talk right. about how you had this download or this change in your body. And yeah, yeah. I've actually had lots of occurrences that don't have any clear scientific explanation in terms of is, well, I would say actually that they do have some science behind them, but for me at the time, especially, it just seemed like what is happening. It was really a kind of huge changes in my physical and also non-physical was just the way that ways that I was thinking, processing information, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I had these, and also what, what we're calling here downloads. So just a lot of information coming through me and I didn't know how to explain that at the time. And I would say there, when I say that 
it wasn't backed by science. It wasn't backed by traditional science. So a lot of what I had known up until then, up until those occurrences did not explain what was happening to me. And a lot of what I've studied since then, what I've learned and what I now share does explain, or at least start to explain those phenomena. Right. Like the quantum physics theories and quantum science theories. So just give us an, an overview of kind of what happened and how it affected you um, at first and then in the future. Yeah, well, so I started having, it, it's strange. So I would say that these huge things started happening to me about probably, I would say they started about six years ago, five, six years ago. But prior to that, I was already having some of these phenomena occurred that I couldn't really explain. So things were happening. They were coming into into fruition without me being able to understand the mechanics behind it. And so when I talked in the second book, I actually feel like it was like my coming out about a lot of things that had happened to me that I didn't, I didn't actually know that I was going to share, especially there's one chapter in there, the chapter on um, permission to have fun, where I didn't know if I was going to share this two day experience basically that happened without any kind of, again, it it sounds almost as if something you would hear through plant medicine or some sort of journey like that. But in my case, none of that was involved. And so when these things started to occur to me, what I realized was uh, we're so much more than we think we are. (laughs) We're so, so, so much more. And anytime we sort of get in the bind of trying to identify ourselves with a particular manifestation of ourselves in any given moment is when we um, are really missing the mark, I think. So your book is called um, Give Yourself Permission. There's a lot of things that we don't give ourselves permission for. In In this title, what are you saying to give ourselves permission to? So actually the name of the book and the chapters of the book also came as a kind of a download. So I got the name of the book, give yourself permission. And then every chapter was permission to do something. So it was permission to, for example, permission to do what you love and then permission to make a lot of money doing what you love, which is something that maybe a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with. And so I really wanted to lay out the ways that I had started and continue to give myself permission in my own life, because it was something that I was seeing in me, but it was also something that I was seeing across the board when I was going and giving talks to maybe thousands of female entrepreneurs, or when I was going into, uh, even in a corporate forget 500 corporate 50, um, you know, a fortune 50 boardroom and seeing people who were lacking confidence that you would never, you would never, ever, ever think were lacking in confidence. And yet here they were. And so I started to understand, well, when the book, what I, what I share and what I strive to share in the book is that the kind of confidence I'm talking about, the kind of happiness I'm talking about is not your, it's, it's, it's not your standard sort of definition of those things. It's a deep trust in yourself, in life, and in others. So that's really where the concept of the book was derived. And, yeah. and the deep trust in ourself and others is not something that we come equipped with. It's something we develop, right? 
I actually believe that we come heavily equipped with the trust with trust. And, and most people, when they hear this, they think, well, that's not true because I don't trust what's going on. But what I always point out to people is that we are trusting in virtually everything that's occurring, both within us and outside of us. We, we have to, for our survival. So we are trusting, for example, that our heart is going to continue to pump oxygen to, to our vital organs. We are trusting that our brain is going to continue to send electrical impulses to all the various parts of our bodies to tell those parts to move. We don't for one second think that we need to orchestrate that, nor do we have the audacity to start planning it out in any way. Right. So we trust in that in the same way we trust what's happening externally right? One of the things I, I joke about is we don't go to bed at night saying, you know, is the sun going to rise in the morning? Is it not going to rise? Is it going to rise? You know, we're not freaking out about it. We trust inherently. There's nothing to even be said about it. There's crazily enough. We don't even really think about it. We just say, oh, right. Well, that just happens. That's true. Right. We, we just trust. And so we are relying on this trust, as I said, for virtually everything. And then, so it's 99.9999999 some odd percent of what's going on. And yet there's this infinitesimal part of what's left over. So it's the 0.0000, whatever, 1% that's left over that we say, well, not this, this I've got to control this. I can't trust that this is going to be okay. I can't trust that I'm on, I'm on time. I can't trust that my, my life is blossoming in the ways that it, it needs to blossom, that I am blossoming in the ways I need to blossom. I can't trust that. And that's where, or as Shakespeare would put it, therein lies the crux. It's you, you've made very, very good points. And it really does put it into perspective for us to understand that if we can think about other things, the way we or not think about other things and just allow and trust the way we trust, the way we function and the way we go, the sun rises and it sets and things like that. Um, it's a really, really valid point. And we're gonna talk a little bit uh, as we go on about how we cut through those messages that keep us from doing that. Um, you say in, um, your first chapter, Believe. How can we direct our beliefs? If we fight for our, our limitations, we get to keep them. I like that. <laughs> I really do. I like that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I really liked that line too, because it reminded me of all the times in my life where I made excuses, where I said, that's not possible for me. And where I had to deliberately and meaningfully pull myself out of that reasoning and decide that I wasn't going to fight for those limitations, but I was actually going to open up to potential. And when we do that, we start to uncover, I believe the infinite potentials available to us. And I don't say that lightly. I say that really that we are, we are all of it and we are experimenting with these different mm, physical representations of something that's non-physical. So the things we're calling Randy and the thing, the, the thing we're calling Courtney, it, it is a representation of something that is non-physical. And so it, 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 it definitely shows up and appears in the physical. And the more we try to 
sort of confine that, the more it begins to calcify and the more we are again, creating limitations and boundaries and confines around ourselves. I completely agree with you. But there are people who say, well, I am a physical being, you are a physical being. And um, what do you mean by that? Right. So, all right. So let's put it this way. The Let's put it this way. When you were born, right, you were so Randy, right? Uh, In the sense that you were, there's some being in you that was, that you would, you call, or you called or other people called at the time because you didn't have verbal uh, verbal capability. Other people called Randy, right? When you were born, there wasn't a single cell in your body that's the same as, as the body that you have today, right? It's not this, it's, there's not a single cell, even from last year. <laughs> so this physical thing that, you know, that you are identifying with is merely a manifestation Okay, something that is appearing in the physical of something that is non-physical, something that is ever-changing, something that will be here after your form is not here, something that was here before your form was here. It's a play of forms. And here we get into not just the esoteric, here we also get into, for example, you brought up quantum physics at the beginning of this. I mean, we look at one of the key findings in quantum physics, something called a wavicle, which is that a particle is a wave at the same time. It's a wave up into the point of observation, i.e. attention, at which point it becomes a particle. In other words, it becomes physical. And the minute that attention is removed from that particle, it it reverts back to the wave function. What does that say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What does that say about us? I mean, that says everything about us. That says everything about us. And yet love this physical. This is fantastic. Wow. We've, we can, we can have sensory experiences through this physical body. And yet what we are is so much greater and so much vaster. It's, 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 it is, it is infinite. And yet we struggle there too, because we try to define it. So there, there you have it in the, in the clearest terms I can give it. Well explained, thank you. Uh, I lo- I like that wave um, wave particle um, analogy because I always often tell people, you know, pretend you're a fish and just go with the, the water. Just go with the water. It's going to take you where you need to go. Um, and that's the same thing with life. I truly believe that. Why do people have such a hard time letting go of control? Mm. Actually, I love the fact that you were just talking about water because I, it, it, what it brings up for me is how water sort of defies gravity. If you hold a really, uh, a person say twice your weight in water, you can hold them without any problem, but we get out of water and you can't. Right. Um, and I think control to go back to your question, that sort of was a segue from the water observation is we try to control what scares us and the more things scare us, the more we try to control them. So everything that we feel is not the way it should be is something we're going to try to control, but who are we to say what should and shouldn't be? And the more we get into that bind with ourselves and the deeper we go into it, the heavier the gravitational weight 
of it becomes. And the more hence we try to control. It's very vicious, <laughs> very vicious cycle. It's true. Um, I know for myself and people that I've worked with that have gotten this concept about letting go of control and just letting life take you. I mean, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to um, work towards things or have desires or things like that. But if you just believe that everything is coming and you just ride the wave, um, things go so much better. And I've seen people's lives change very drastically once they get that key point. Mm -hmm. um, you say that um, we find what we're looking for every time. Uh, and then you talk about RAS, a um, reticular activating system. What is that about? Right. Well, this is actually an overlapping concept, or at least this is how I like to think of it. This is from neuroscience. So we were just talking a moment ago about the wavicle, which is the scientist in a lab who is putting his or her attention on the, the wave function, translating it into a particle. So here we're talking about subatomic quanta, like quarks and bosons, et cetera. But um, in, in neuroscience, there's this finding of this part of our brain called the reticular activating system. And I like to think of it in the same terms. There's also another finding in epigenetics that I think reveals the same thing, but in neuroscience, this RAS or this reticular activating system is what's responsible for finding the answers to the questions you are asking, or what is responsible for finding the reflections of the dominant thought patterns that you're having. So let me give you an example of this. Years and years ago, I worked for the outdoor company, the North Face. Have you heard of the North Face jackets and everything? And when I started working for them, a very curious thing started to happen, which is that I was seeing these North Face jackets everywhere. Everybody was wearing North Face all of a sudden, right? Now, it wasn't that overnight everyone went out and bought North Face jackets just because I decided to work there. I mean, I'm not that vain. I didn't understand what was happening but I realized, whoa, something is going on here. Something very tricky. It's like what you hear all the time that you get a new car and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Right. This is the function of the reticular activating system. Essentially what this means, Randy, is that we are walking around with the most magnificent search engine ever created. And yet very, very few of us are using that in ways that are serving us. Okay. So we've got this part of our brain that says, Hey, this thing's interesting for Randy. Let's find evidence of it. Let's find, let's find representations of it, representations of what, of what she's focused on. Right. And so the minute we start to understand this very core function of our mind, the minute we can start making much better decisions about where we're putting our focus and predominantly also the kinds of questions we're asking. And I don't know if you want me to go into that, but that's one of the reasons why people often fail with affirmations sure. because they're, they're missing. Okay. So one of the things that I always found kind of disturbing was people would say, you know, just, just like, I'm good enough. They would say, you know, stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me, at least that's something I remember from when I was growing up, it was a joke, but it also wasn't a joke because a lot of people work with affirmations and then they wonder why these things are not coming to fruition in their lives. And the reason is that it's much harder for your unconscious or your subconscious to be accepting an affirmation than it is to be accepting the validity of a new question. Okay. So if I say, 
um, if, if I say, for example, say I'm a person who's, who's struggling with my weight and I say, um, I am thin, I am thin, I am thin. Your unconscious, your subconscious is going to really struggle with that. What your unconscious or your subconscious is not going to struggle with is a question. How, how does a, a really good question too, you want to pay attention to the kind of questions you're framing. So it's not, how do I lose weight? Because it's not about losing weight. Losing weight is something you put back on. It's how does a thin person or maybe a, a fit person, whatever kind of terminology you want to use, but how does a fit person move? How does a fit person talk? How does a fit person eat? How does a fit person come into a room? How does a fit person think about the gym? For example, these kinds of questions are the questions that's going to get your reticular activating system to start looking for corresponding, uh, in this case, corresponding support, hmm. support. And I really like questions like that too, because it's the, who you're becoming. It's not, it's not the representation that you, that, that you're experiencing right now. It's who you're becoming. It's like a tree that is in the process of working underground to create the fruit that then will appear on its branches. It's a very beautiful sort of um, different approach than we're, than we're usually taught. Uh, yeah. So. And I, I like it because I could relate to that immediately because when you said affirmation, I felt stagnant. Mm. When you said, ask yourself questions, I felt movement. Mm -hmm. It was totally different. I felt stimulated by that, mm -hmm. you know, um, affirmations are scary. You know, it's like, we don't believe them. We're supposed to say them. Um, it doesn't represent how we feel right now, but we're supposed to stand there and say them. It's a forced thing that we're doing. And anytime we're forcing something, it's not going to help us. And it is said that we're supposed to believe the affirmations and say them with gusto and zest and all of those things. But I like what you say there. That makes so much sense to me. I really, really like that. I think that's um, a great uh, way to cover this. Um, you talk about nudges, question the nudges. There's different kind of nudges. What are the different kind of nudges? Yeah, so they're always talking about nudges that are kind of pulling you towards something and nudges that are kind of leading you away from things. And I was also talking about the nudges that are empowering nudges and then nudges. That, so there's different things going on. And here's, here's what I'll say, rather than getting into defining specifically what they look like, it's about a deep listening and we are not taught to do that. If I am not listening to what's going on inside of me, I'm really going to struggle to identify which nudges are actually the ones that are pulling me toward an evolutionary uh, rite of passage, okay? Because we, there are lots of times people have desires. Now, there's a there's kind of desire that are externally motivated and there are intrinsically motivated desires. There's a very big difference between, there's a very big difference between these two. So if I'm externally motivated, it means I need the house, I need the car, I need the social status of whatever kind in order to feel like I'm okay and I'm worthy and whatever, whatever that story is that that's going on. And it's a, it's a 
it's a story that we're all heavily exposed to. So it, it's clear that we, we have to do some unraveling here. The other kind of motivation or nudge is an intrinsically motivated one. And basically what it's, what it's coming from is a much deeper sense of who you are, what this representation or what we, when we were talking about a moment ago, what you're meant to express through this form. And in deep listening, you will know the difference. You will know the difference. Just like you were saying before, when you said, oh, something about that clicked. When I heard the first one, it was stagnant. When I felt that when I heard this other one, I felt this movement, It's the same type of thing, mm -hmm. but we have to train ourselves in this deep listening, which again, as I said, is something that unfortunately we are not taught to do. And so we have to sort of teach ourselves. Yeah. So deep listening, meaning trusting the, the feelings that we have, trusting, you know, the motivation. A lot of people have those feelings and then tell themselves this is not, this is not going to work in this society, in this family, in this community. It's not going to get me money. It's not, you know, and we, we come up with a whole lot of reasons why we shouldn't listen to it. I've always found that when I listen to it, because it's all the nudge is always there. It's been there a long time. And when I listen to it, it takes me on the path, the right path where I'm supposed to go. And that doesn't mean there aren't going to be, you know, issues along the way. But a lot of times those issues become the learning, the lessons that I need to move to the next step. So um, I completely go with the nudges. I think that's really important. Uh, you know, I, I specialize, I'm an expert in narcissistic personality disorder abuse. And the way that a narcissist takes somebody hostage is by teaching them to distrust the nudges, distrust the intuition, distrust what feels right. And they train them to only listen to what they're told. This is how they get people stuck in these situations. So I always tell people, you know, when they were getting out of these relationships or getting out of a family like this, you know, your intuition is your truth teller, nudge, let it guide you, let it, you know, let it. So I truly um, agree with you on this. I want to talk about, you know, you learned about kinesiology and, um, I actually tried what you're talking about here, but there's a way that we can ask our body yes or no when we're unsure. Can you take us through that? Maybe everybody can sort of do it as you're talking. Sure, sure. So I, if, when I first started experimenting with muscle testing and kinesiology, I really struggled because I didn't know, I didn't seem to know what was accurate. And so to go back to something you said a moment ago, it was like, I didn't know if I could trust what was happening inside of me because I was getting so many different signals. I was so, there was so much noise inside of me. And that's what I mean when I say, you got to get quiet. You got to really get with yourself. That is the, for me, it's, it's kind of the prerequisite. It, there are different ways to do it. You don't have to sit cross-legged for hours and, you know, keep your eyes closed, whatever. There are different ways to get with yourself. But first and foremost, before you even try any muscle testing, 
the first experiment is really starting to get with yourself more often. And that could just be a minute here and there. I'm going to sit down. Like I'm feeling a lot of intensity inside of me right now. Okay. Say, for example, I'm going to just sit for a minute. I'm going to sit down. not going to do anything special. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to feel it. That's it. Just going to feel it. And then I'm going to get up and go along uh, uh, around and do the things that I was doing before, maybe, or maybe not. The more you do this, the more you're going to start really discovering some major gold in you. So that's first and foremost. And we can go back to that if you want, because there's a lot of import in that. And then the muscle testing. So for me, I devised this way that worked for me and I called it this way. And I don't know, maybe this is also done elsewhere, but at the time, the ways I was learning it, muscle testing, the ways they were teaching it was very different. Um, for instance, they say to keep your eyes slightly open and to hold them at a specific angle. I needed to close my eyes to really make connection with what my body was trying to tell me. And then I would ask a series of true false questions, you know, bodies, answers and questions that uh, I knew, I at least totally believed to be true. So my name is Courtney, for example, and I, my body would, would move forward uh, or I would say my name is Pete and my body would move backward. And so I called, I started calling it the sway because I was, I was realizing that my body was a kind of pendulum. And um, sometimes maybe my body didn't have an answer. Sometimes it was just still, but, but lots of times it was giving me a very clear answer. And so I started to uncover it this way. Now, People experience this in different ways. So it's really fun to play around with what's your way. Like, for example, I know people who they just get quiet and they close their eyes and they ask a question and they'll feel a surge inside of them or kind of like what you talked about before, where you said there was movement there. I felt movement. I felt something or they'll feel their heart there. They'll feel a kind of a, a warmth around their heart if something is true and then lots of times when something isn't true, they'll feel a subtle contraction in their body. So there are so many different ways to play around with this, but your body, I often will say like your body's a, a big truth teller, you know, and it's also a lie detector. You know, if there's times like your something goes off in your body, pay attention. It might not be what you think it is. It might not be what's immediately in front of you, but there's something going on and it's something worthy of, of attention and compassion and sitting with. That's, you know, that's really good um, advice, encouragement, and, you know, it's something we can all do. It's, it's not that hard to do. Um, I've done this way. I, I don't remember if I, if I went side to side. I think it's more front and back. I really do. I learned this years ago with kinesiology, and I don't remember if eyes were open, eyes were closed. I don't really remember that, um, but I... I see why you would say close your eyes, because you can really focus inward when you do that. Um, so in chapter four, you talk about making a lot of money. Who doesn't want to? Well, I guess there's some people that don't care if they make a lot of money, but most of us would like to make a lot of money because it's a very expensive world we live in. We need to have money. And if we want to enjoy ourselves, we need to have excess money. So you talk about the principles um, of being aware of the conditioning that has resulted in the money situation situation you're currently in. Um, and there's, let's see, five. Okay, there's five principles, I believe. Five principles. Okay. So can you talk about those principles? Yeah, well, what I really wanted people to understand with these principles is 
the difference between money accumulation and wealth. And there is a massive difference. And wealth is a consciousness. And I'm going to repeat that because it's so important. Wealth is a consciousness. It's not how much money you have in the bank. So when we talk about, um, you know, if, if someone says, I want to have a lot of money, we have to dig a little deeper there. So even when we say, oh, well, things are something I want to be able to afford things. Okay. Well, what's, what's under that? What's under that? What's under that? I was giving a, a talk to, um, I was, I was giving a talk to a thousand women in this past year. And one of the women in the audience afterwards stood up. She was asking the question she wanted to make her first million. And I said, great. I said, why do you want to make a million? And she said, well, because then I, I'm going to be able to support my team and I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to be able to do that. And I said, great. And, uh, what does that mean to you? And we just dug a little deeper and within less than a minute, I would say maybe even 30 seconds, we were at the truth of it, which is that she would feel like she was enough. And that is what we need to start understanding what's really at play here, because you could have all the money in the world and we've seen it. We've seen people with a heck of a lot of money who are very unfulfilled and very unhappy and they can afford all the things, but their life for lack of a better term sucks. So why do you want it? What is affluence? What is wealth? Identify that first. So these principles spring out of what my understanding of wealth is and what has created an actual, also very materially wealthy life for me, but they sprang out of this awareness. Again, when I say it's a consciousness, it's an awareness. And one of the greatest principles of this it's one of the all time most revered investors of all time was uh, Sir John Templeton. And when he was asked the secret of his wealth, he responded with one word. And I don't know if you remember reading this bit in the book, but it's, it's gratitude, yes, gratitude. I remember reading that. Yes. And so people, so yeah, true. it's like, overlook this. And you, you will never experience wealth. If you can actually look at what you have right now, look at who you are right now and be so grateful for the wealth within you, you will never need for anything. You will never want for anything. And that is an ultimate truth. And it transcends all of the teachings that we may get about you know, make a lot of money and all this other kind of stuff. And so really in that chapter, I wanted to go to these base principles so that people, when you cultivate that, the amount becomes very arbitrary. And yet that is actually when it's, it's the ultimate irony and it doesn't, it's not just with wealth. It's the minute you give it up is the minute you get it. It's true. Yeah. So true. So that's where I was going with those principles. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So, um, principle one. Okay. So basically you covered them because principle one was wealth is an inside job. And you talked about that. Principle two is money is an out picturing of your beliefs. And you talked about going down the layers till you figure out what it is you really want. Um, no one else can do you. You're the only one that can do what you do and be who you are. Um, 
where love is, money is. Now, we didn't actually talk about that. We talked about gratitude. But what do you mean where love is, money is? Right. So when I talked about that principle, which actually is also the same as, well, let me go first to where I was going with that specifically in the book was, if you love something, if you really, really love it, if there's something that you really enjoy doing, I promise you, no matter what everybody else is telling you, you can make a money. You can make a lot of money. I will repeat, you can make a lot of money doing what you love. It's the fruits that you're meant to bear. When we were talking about the tree, it's the fruits that you're meant to bear. Again, I'm not talking about, again, it becomes arbitrary. We're not talking about millionaire or anything like that. I'm talking about freedom, the freedom that money grants you from doing what you love. So it, and because if you love it, other people will love it too. If you're really, here's the thing. Here's what we're most attracted to. We're most attracted to people who are awake. We are most attracted to people who are shining their light bright, no matter what it's in. It doesn't matter. You could be an expert in automobiles, but you talk to me about automobiles and you're so enthused. By the way, in Theos, enthusiasm, it comes from in God. It's your God essence. It's your inspired, your inspirito essence. That is what we are so excited about because so many people are walking around with their spark just kind of barely, barely, barely at minimum. You can't even sense it. Uh, I was watching a friend of mine recommended this vampire movie. Um, I can't remember the name in English because I, the, the title was in Italian, but um, anyway, she was recommending, she recommended this movie and this guy, this vampire was like, I just can't take the zombies. And he was talking about the, the, you know regular people walking around. He's like, I can't stand the zombies. Like I basically want to end my life because there's these zombies everywhere. Now, here's what I'm saying. You have if you are breathing, you have a flame in you there. And it may be very, very, very small at this moment. It may be barely flickering. And there may have been moment situations like when you were talking about learned help, the phenomenon of learned helplessness, which is a very fascinating psychological phenomenon. That's not just related to narcissism, but in general is related to humanity and how we're trained to believe that we don't have the powers that we have. That light may be very, very dim. If you find something you love, like for example, I, when I was growing up, I loved reading books. Like I loved, I still love reading. I mean, I love it. People are like, that's crazy. I, I love re my daughter. Like that's insane. Mom, I don't love reading. I love it. If I could spend most of my day doing anything, I'd probably be reading. I do spend a, a lot of my days reading, but th that's me. And then that reading translated in a lot of different ways into my own life, literary wise, in writing my books, in writing for various different publications around the world, et cetera, et cetera. But that was part of not just that. It's what increases my flame. It, it is a reminder for me of the parable of the talents. I don't know if you want me to keep going, but that's keep leading going, me into going. Okay. <laughs> um, So in the, in the Bible, and I, it's been a while since I've read this, but I love all spiritual texts. They're very insightful. They'll tell you a lot about human psychology and humanity in general. And there's a, uh, a, a beautiful parable in the Bible. It's called the parable of the talents. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this whole thing because I don't re recall exactly how it went, but basically God gives three different people, these talents. Okay. And at the time talents, funny enough, cause we were just talking about money were currency. Hmm. 
but we also translate this as skill. So he gives the first one, I think, uh, five or yeah, five talents. And again, I don't know the numbers, but five talents, three talents to the second one, one talent to the last one. And he leaves them with these talents. And he comes back after a while and he says to the first one, how'd you get on with the talents? And the guy with five talents says, wow, it was amazing. I doubled the amount that I had. I mean, this is incredible. This is phenomenal. And God says, great job and gives them double that. So compounds what he's got. And then he goes to the second one. He says, how about you? And he says, I, I, I did well too. I mean, I, I really enjoyed working with these talents. This is fantastic. I made a couple more and, and, and God then gives him a couple more. And he goes to the one who was given one talent and he says, and how about you? And he says, man, I could, I, I couldn't understand this thing. I just left it there. I have no idea. I didn't, I, what was I supposed to do with this? And God says, and God takes the talent, the one talent away. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're interested in. You've got talents. You've got treasures in you. And your job is to find them bit by bit. You don't have to say, oh, I've got to know my whole life purpose and I've got to follow that from today to tomorrow. That's not what we're talking about here. There are seeds in you and those seeds will increase that flame. And the more you develop those talents that are unique to you, the more the flame grows and the greater presence there is about you. This is what we were talking about with what we're really attracted to. Right. I don't care what it's about. If you're really into it, going back to that principle, and this is a long answer to your question about where money is, love is, okay. <laughs> you, you go back to that principle. That's the truth of it. And we want to always make some kind of excuse for that. But instead of making excuses, we should just dig in because life is short. I mean, you're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Do it. Yeah. Right. What I hear people say in regard to this is um, they always say, can I really be who I want to be, do what I want to do? It's, it's, it's a question that um, and, and the people that I work with, you have to understand, are coming from some kind of programming that where they've been told that they're nobody, they're nothing, they're incapable, all of those things. So, you know, part of the core of healing from this is really claiming who you are again. And um, so I always have people kind of make a list and tell me, tell me who they are, not what they do or the, their role in the family, but who they are. And they have a hard time. And so we work on that together. And then I say, what do you love to do? And most people will say, I have no idea. And I'm like, well, if you could do something right now, what would you do? What do you like if you had free time and then they can come up with something? Do you love that? Does that light you up? Yeah. Well, then that's what you need to focus on. And they say, really? I can do that? Mm -hmm. You know, that sounds very strange, but I believe that we as a collective consciousness have this mindset that we have to measure ourselves against what the norm is. And I've never been a measure against the norm person, <laughs> never. Um, but I think that we're programmed to do that. What are your thoughts? We are, we're heavily programmed. And I think lots of times we need to see examples. We need to see examples of people who have done something even, even just a little similar. And 
I often, so I, I didn't ever used to use slides in my talks, but now oftentimes I'm, when I'm giving talks, I use a few slides because I, one of the ones I wanted to show recently was a, a picture of me from 10 years ago. And I don't look remotely the same and people cannot understand. I mean, over half the audience doesn't even identify me. And then as soon as people, it starts dawning, you know, you've got mouths agape, you've got, you know, this, this expression of surprise. We need to see examples of what's possible. I think it's really good when people say, well, you know, I don't have the education. Okay. We'll look up all the people who don't have a, even a high school education and who became immensely successful. You will find dozens of the most famous people you have ever heard of in your entire life because, and I'm not, and that span generations who did not have the education. Okay. Well, um, I'm to this, I'm to whatever. I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not ugly enough. I'm not whatever enough. Okay. Find examples, find examples. There is the, I love the story of Roger Bannister, who was the first person to ever run the, the four minute the under four minute mile. Yeah. The four minute mile. I don't know if he did it slightly under four minutes, but nobody believed that was possible at the time. Nobody believed it was possible. That was something you could not do that same year. Multiple people broke the record after he did. And now it's kind of the basic entry requirement for almost any major marathon. You have to, you have to be under that. Like, it's just what our bodies are able to do supposedly now that weren't before. So Finding examples of that's really important. Um, understanding that the way you were conditioned needs deconditioning. So definitely working with people who can help you see just to, to your point of what you're doing with people, which is really fantastic to see. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not true. What if it wasn't true? You know, the phenomenon of learned helplessness, which you were alluding to earlier, I think is really phenomenal. It's, um, there are multiple instances and cases of this. And, uh, one, one example is like, if you put a grasshopper in a, in a jar, I think this is really terrible, but they've conducted like a frog with the boiling. Yeah. Or yeah. Well that, that's actually, that's a, that's a different, that's a different phenomenon. Oh, okay. That's Tell me about the grasshopper. I don't know what that was. That's fascinating too. So the grasshopper is if you put a grasshopper in a jar, apparently they've done that. They've done experiments like this really horrific, but anyway, you put a, a top on that jar. The grasshopper is only going to jump a certain number of times until it stops jumping. And then when you remove that lid, that grasshopper is not going to jump anymore. It has learned that it can't get out. Okay. It's the same that you've probably heard of an elephant in a circus that's tied up at a very young age and elite and can't get away. And then as it grows bigger and it could take down the whole tent and the whole circus and do whatever the heck it wants to, doesn't even try because it is sincerely believes that it doesn't have the power to do it. So this is the phenomenon in psychology known as learned helplessness. And a lot of us, a lot of us are conditioned into learned helplessness. And it doesn't matter how that showed up for us, it showed up. So finding people who can start to say, wait, wait, what if you what if you tug a little bit over here? What if you move this way or that way? And it's not about me or anyone else having your answers because no one has your answers except for you. But people can remind you that it's not true. It's not true or it's not true anymore. 
there might have been a time where that conditioning was was imposed and there was an environment that didn't allow certain movements it's it can be untrue for you now so finding examples of of folks who have done similar things finding people around your path who can remind you of your own power um i mean there's a lot more there i could go on and on so i'll, I'll pass it back to you but there's um you know, those are some of the ways that people can start realizing that there's a there is another way well you know my story is a perfect example of what you just said because i grew up in a very dysfunctional home a lot of emotional abuse and when i went to college i i wanted to be a therapist i wanted to do art therapy that was always what i wanted to do but i couldn't continue college because my home life was such a disaster that i had to just go to work and get away so um so i never got that degree and but my whole life this is what my affinity has been so i don't know 15 years ago i i meet um somebody on i think it was twitter i was writing a book and you know he was kind of saying have you ever tried this have you ever tried that have you ever tried this i think you'd be good and he said to me one day why don't you just start counseling people? I said, who's going to come to me? I don't have a degree. I have no clout. I have no letters after my name. Who's going to come to me? He's like, doesn't matter. If that's what you believe you should do, you do it. And here I am today. This is what I do. I work with people and I've, you know, and people trust me, but it's, this is a perfect example. It's like, I didn't even, I didn't even, that was a nudge. That was a nudge. And I pay attention to nudges. Um, even if, 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 even if it scares me, I still mm -hmm. go, okay, there's a reason I'm being set, told this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people who are listening who might feel that fear, it's not like jump anyway and the net will appear. It's, it's experiment a little bit and listen to people who ignite that spark. Mm -hmm. If there's something or some or someone that's igniting that spark, just, just see if you can tune in a little bit more to it, just a little bit, just a little bit at a time. That, by the way, is the frog, the frog. That's a beautiful, the boiling frog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that came from Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. I don't know if uh, anyone else was talking about it. I'm sure it's, a, it's, again, something weird that they studied, but they, you know, if you put a frog in, if you throw a frog in boiling water, it jumps right back out. But if you slowly... You know, you put a frog in cold water and you slowly boil the poor thing, uh, then it does it, it it is boiled alive. So it's crazy. And yet that's also the reminder that of the ways we get into um, you know, either either we are we either we are basically letting ourselves slowly move into something that we feel good about, or we're slowly becoming conditioned into ways that don't serve us. So just tuning more into what does. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Good topic. Good topic. That's mm. going to help a lot of people. Well, I love the story from your own life. Those are the you most powerful. Absolutely can. You can. So, you know, I think it's important that we all understand. I've told people, tell me about your quirks. Tell me about the things you don't like about yourself, things that you do like about yourself, talents you have, things you absolutely failed at. You know, tell me all of them because that's you. And then if people have a problem with any of it, you go, it's me. 
sorry, that's me, take me, you know, this is what I am. We can't be anything but what we are. Okay, parties over, common party killers, I like this. Um, first one is taking ourselves too seriously. Oh, yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just recently had a whole podcast episode about laughter. Um, we did this three-part series with this guy, Matthew Blades, who's remarkable. And um, the third episode was just on laughing and being funny and being goofy and the power of that. And again, this seriousness is is a calcification of a personality, and that is not what you are. Wow. Yeah. Calcification. Wow. Good work. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That really, um, that's illusory. You really see that. Believing it has to be hard. So... We think if we if it isn't hard, if we don't work hard for it, if we don't struggle, it's not worth it. Yeah, I am the proof now. My life is the absolute living proof that it actually can be really easy and fun. Um, and I didn't know that before either, which is why I wrote about this, because I thought it had to be really hard. And I thought that you know, in order to produce and create certain things, I really needed to uh, buckle down all that. And I did all that. And I'm not saying necessarily that anything's wrong. I think the efforting, I think there's a place for that. And there's also a place for a softness. It's kind of like an, an athlete when they train, right? They train intensely and then they must also relax and allow everything they've done to bear fruit and to create that muscle and that strength. Right. And that's what we have to do with ourselves. It's really being psychical, compassionate, loving, um, and yeah, much less serious. Yeah. Much less serious. Yeah. We just talked about, um, caring too much about what other people think. We've talked about that. Uh, another one is worrying about stuff we have no control over say you said bob marley once said something along the lines of worrying is like praying to the devil every time we worry we are drawing that probability outcome to us what mm -hmm. mm -hmm. i don't know where worry came from it is the most useless human thought process that is around mm -hmm. you know i mean it, it doesn't help anything it never even in the most serious situations where we does not help. Yeah, it really doesn't. And we were taught most of us that worry means you care. Yes. Eek. What a conditioning to have to overcome, but we must overcome it. If we want to live, if we want to live joyously. I used to have a friend who worried all the time. And I said, you're making yourself crazy. Stop worrying. She said, if I don't worry, it's going to turn out bad. It always mm -hmm. does. Well, mm -hmm. talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. But mm -hmm. she truly believed she must worry. You know, um, my mother was personality disordered and um, she used the fact that she worried about things to make other people think that she cared. 
it doesn't it doesn't mean that you care um worrying about somebody is not there's nothing that's going to come with it people aren't going to understand it they're not going to believe that you have um that you're kind of taking time out of your life to worry about it. We don't want other people to worry about us, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, some people do, and that's the irony. It's like we have just, again, it's conditioning and calcification here. And if you want to be free, it's one of the things you have to let go of. And every time you see it spring up, you got to let it go again. It's true. It's true. The pressure is getting harder and harder in society to, um, I was talking to uh, the, the last show that I did, we were talking about this, you know, this um, overreaching kind of mindset and programming that's happening all over the world right now. It's really brainwashing, a lot of brainwashing going on. And it's hard to resist that. Okay. Um, you say that yawning is the best kept secret of neuroscience. Why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't come up with that. That's actually neuroscience that says that. So yawning is a really fascinating biological, built-in biological energizer and relaxer. Isn't that amazing? It relaxes us and energizes us at the same time. I find that just so cool. <laughs> it's why you see animals before a hunt yawning after a hunt yawning what it does is essentially you can think about it you're getting a lot more oxygen to your brain first and foremost you're calming your autonomic nervous system you're sending the signal to your brain and to your vagus nerve which is the largest nerve in your body that you're safe okay because yawning means i'm safe which by the way yawning in couples is very powerful or yawning in families, yawning in situations with friends is really powerful because uh, yawning for an extended period, even just for a half a minute or a minute, starts to release a lot of oxytocin in your body. Okay, so yawning is just this miracle drug that unfortunately, as we were grown, growing up, we were taught don't yawn, right? It means you're bored. What the hell? I mean, you yawn. It, does, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't <laughs> you yawn as a natural, naturally occurring, you know, response to, to the requirements of your body. So yeah, yawning is actually, I joke that it's one of my favorite meditations, but I'm actually also serious about that. It is a great meditation. I mean, if you're struggling with, with meditation, sit there and trigger the yawn response for 30 seconds, just set a timer, trigger the yawn response for 30 seconds you will have already started to move into different brainwave frequencies because you're going to be moving out of beta, which I'm sure, I mean, let's just put it, let's just put it as it is. Most of us are running around in high beta most of the time. You're going to move into either a different range of beta within 30 seconds, or you're going to even move into alpha if you're in low range beta. So you're going to be changing your brainwave frequencies within seconds. So yeah, yawning is, is a good, is a good go-to. Yeah. My husband is going to be very happy to hear this. <laughs> because every time I talk about something deep, he yawns. He doesn't do it anymore. He, but he used to. He used to yawn immediately. Mm. And I, I, you know, I guess um, it wasn't computing. Maybe he needed to shore up some more oxygen in order to be able to understand. Um, but I used to say, "Why are you yawning? Am I boring you?" Mm, that's a really right. good. That's a good point. 
Okay, FOMO, fear of missing out. This is a new, every, this is a new coined kind of acronym. Um, so what happens when we're always looking for the next thing? Yeah, so I had found this JOMO, I think, and ironically, and I'm not on that much, but I, was, I think I found it on Instagram, actually, it was JOMO, was the joy of missing out. And I thought, that's it right there. So this this idea that we're always missing something comes from this inner anxiety. And the inner anxiety says, you're not enough, you don't have enough, you're whatever. It's It's coming from this place of if I don't know, if, if I'm not seeing what's going on there, then, then I, I'm not going to be okay. Right. Or if I'm not, if I don't go to X's party, then I'm going to be out of the in-group or whatever that is. And this is this inner anxiety that says I'm not going to be accepted. The more we challenge that and we get excited about missing out. <laughs> so I have built in all sorts of built-in ways that I do this. And I write about that a lot in the book because I, I would love more people to understand the joy of missing out um, <laughs> because it can be very joyful. It's a place where you get to do a lot more creating. It's a place where you're really tuned into yourself a heck of a lot more. It's an exciting place. So it's not our fault that we, that we feel a lot of FOMO. I mean, I remember reading a statistic. If you can believe this, I read it over 20 years ago. And the statistic was that the average American is exposed to 3,000 advertisements per day. Oh my gosh. Randy, that was 20 years ago. Wow. Now look, look at our phones and look at what, you know, pe the way people are ingesting information. Okay. And you can just imagine, I mean, we are bombarded and billions, trillions are spent. What for? The greatest resource you have, your attention. <laughs> So if you learn how to start directing your attention and it, it is a process because we have to unlearn a lot of really bad habits, but if you learn that you are recapturing your greatest, one of your greatest assets by far, it's also what's going to help you start redirecting thought processes and hence uh, sensation, emotional responses, et cetera. So it's a very, very powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah, fear of missing out, I think, um, <clears throat> stems largely from social media. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I feel it, so I don't go on there. I have business pages on social media, but I don't go on for personal reasons because I always think somebody's got more than me. And mm -hmm. I'm perfectly content. I've got a great life. There's nothing I want, really. I don't want anything. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But when... But when I go on a Facebook, that happens to me. That happens to me. I think somebody's got more doing more or being loved more or something like that. Yeah, I think a lot of, for a lot of people, um, social media can be very unhealthy. It can be a great place if you're using it wisely. But again, billions are spent for us to not use it so wisely. So we got to we got to get a little smarter about it. And that's, that is why I write about it a lot in this book to give people the kinds of things that I found that were useful for me to kind of test and experiment with, you know? Yeah. So that you don't feel that 
you're not in the trap of comparison. You're not in the trap of mindlessly scrolling and feeling your energy totally depleted by that. Um, yeah, it's regaining and recapturing that attention and energy. This is, this is a great book, guys. Um, mm -hmm. I always have a hard time trying to, there it is. Give yourself permission. Courtney McDermott. Okay. This book has so much wisdom in it, but it's simplistic. It's easy to understand. It's deep, but it's, but Courtney, you've written this in a way where it's very easy to grasp these concepts. And that's, you know, it's not all this heavy, uh, heavy advice or wisdom or deep. I mean, it's, it's so profound, but it's really easy to do the way that you explain it. Um, was that your intention in writing this book? Thank you. It, it is my intention always to, to simplify as much as possible. I think <clears throat> Da Vinci put it best. He said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. <clears throat> and I couldn't agree more. I, I actually don't even believe that you understand something if you can't explain it simply. Um, and that's not any fault of, of, of anyone's other than go dig deeper, dig deeper. If, 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 for example, you're an expert with lighting, but you, it, it, but you can't tell me, or you're an expert with electricity for something and you can't tell me in simple, in a simple way that I can understand, go deeper, go deeper in your own, um, learnings until you get to that place where you can deliver it in a way that is accessible. And that is when you, I, I think when you start to know it, at least in a different way, at least that's how I've experienced it. So mm -hmm. oh, that makes yeah. sense. That's, <clears throat> so um, your website is CourtneyMcDermott.com. I'm going to spell that because it's C-O-R-T. There's no U. C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T.com. Tell us about what you do. Um, what kind of work you do and um, if people can work with you. Thanks. So the short URL for my website is also C O R T Inc. I N C. So court Inc.com because the spelling out the whole name is kind of long. Um, but yes, yeah, since most people tend to put a U and I think if you, if you put Courtney with a U, I think you find a, a copywriter somewhere in, uh, yeah, you know, find other things. Yeah. It's not you. <laughs> so, um, court I, this, these past couple of years have been dedicated largely to stage work. I've been doing also some private events. I, I give a lot of talks around the world. So we share sometimes where those are public, where people have the chance to attend. I know I'm going to be giving one that people can come to in Germany this summer. Um, I'm going to be, and also I don't typically do any one-on-one -on -one training anymore. We have a three-year waiting list for working directly with me. And um, I actually have just a very few, few, few uh, celebrity clients right now. Um, but this year, because we've had so much request, I'm we're seeing if we can organize in-person intensives, just half-day intensives with me. Um, and we're, we're looking at offering those around the world. So my team's actually putting together a little plan around that. So we can, we, there's a whole application process and all of that, but that'll be happening. I know I'm going to be, uh, us wise. I know I should be hitting up the West coast, I think in May, uh, the end of May. So there's a possibility there, but it's only just one spot and we do have a lot of interested people, but if you're interested and you get, um, connected with me and my team, we can see if there's still something available 
at that point. Um, but yeah, there's very limited chance one-on-one, but I do, I do love giving talks and being parts of part of workshops. And sometimes those are made uh, available to a larger public. So that's That's, great. That's good to know. So, so it's important for everyone to, um, is there a way, is there a way to sign up to be, to get notifications from your website? Well, so the, on the website itself, there's a contact page. So okay. if you're looking for immediate information, you can write in there and someone from my team will come back with what's brewing right now. I tend to not send a lot of emails because I don't, we have a, we have a great email list and I don't want to abuse of people's uh, attention and their inboxes. So I rarely send things. I know that when people sign up for the, on the website, they do get a free downloadable quick meditation that really helps calm your nervous system and helps you work with confidence. So um, that's something that I created years ago and it's still, it's still live on the site. It's still, I still love it. Um, So there's that, but we're not real email heavy. So if there was a specific request, it's great to write in directly on the website on the contact page. Okay. And so your book, I would imagine is available wherever books are sold. Yeah, it can be ordered in bookstores. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the usual things. Okay. Wow, what a great conversation. (laughs) Thank you. This was so much fun. Yeah, um, it's so great to meet you. I I thank you so much for giving me time today and for being on the show and inspiring the listeners. You have such beautiful things to say. So I hope... You're Courtney's in Italy. Is everybody jealous? (laughs) No, I have people all over the world listening. So people could be from anywhere. Um, Anyway, it's been great to talk with you and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.